Good morning, everybody. A few special shout outs this morning. Uh, first of all, to our CU grads who graduated this last week. Lots of really smart people adding to the group of smart people, all smarter than me, that I, but I'm so glad I get to teach you. But congratulations. We're so proud of you, and uh, it's been a privilege to be a part of your life for however long you've been in Boulder and been a part of Cornerstone. And uh, really, just congratulations. Great job, and we're excited to see what happens with the rest of your life, because now it starts. Speaking the rest of your life, let's also honor all the mothers in the room today. Let's give them a hand. We've got old mothers and young mothers and tired mothers and soon-to-be mothers, all the types here. Many of you missing your mother today, right? There's just mixed emotions on a day like this, and uh, it's meant to be a day that we honor the moms in our life, but we also honor motherhood. It's special to have a female in your life nurturing you and showing you the way that God intended. And so it's just a beautiful thing. And we honor all the moms. We honor motherhood today. And so happy Mother's Day from me to you and from our entire leadership team here at Cornerstone. Uh, a few other things. So this is, just have to give a disclaimer because I might have a hard time getting through this message. Today is our last Sunday in this room. And so we're going to spend some time going down a nostalgic road. And then I'm going to end with a short message from one of the parables that Jesus told about things new. Um, so for many of us, this is going to be a hard morning because this is a really special place to us. It's just an ordinary room. It's actually a really crappy room. I could just tell you everything it's bad about. It's too small. Cut the stage three different times to make room for more of you. Um, I mean, just look around, look at the back. Remember when the lights used to go off when I would preach in the summer? Okay. Yeah. The AC would just kill the power and the lights would go off. That's always great for a preacher. But this room is full of memories. For many of us, you know, I've been here 20 years and um, so it's going to be hard. So what I usually do instead of getting emotional is I try to do something stupid. And so I'm going to do something stupid here and I'm going to take us down the nostalgic road, not too far, but to the year 1999. So who can remember what they were doing in the summer of 1999? Raise your hand. You have to think about it for a second. I had just finished my freshman year of college. We're all getting ready for Y2K. That's right, Nick. Yep. <laughs> I had just finished my freshman year of college. I was back at home working in my dad's store with my brothers and every weekend going to the lake. If you can't remember what was happening in your life in 1999, maybe some of these things will help jog your memory. The most famous song in America in the summer of 1999 was from the great artist Ricky Martin. Living La Vida Loca. That's not a joke. That's for real. That actually was a good song at one point. <laughs> Top TV shows that summer were The Sopranos and The West Wing. And who remembers Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? Oh, yeah, it was a big deal that summer. The Sixth Sense. And then to just make all of us Star Wars nerds feel good. Star Wars Episode One came out that summer. I couldn't wait to go and watch it. I remember lining up outside the theater. How about this? Apple released the first iBook laptop. What an idea, right? <laughs> Who's old enough to remember Napster? 
Oh, June 1st, Napster launched, and we all stole music from the music industry for the next several years. It was amazing. Any song for free, all illegal. The most important thing about the summer of 1999 is that the Denver Broncos were the reigning two-time Super Bowl champs. Yeah, oh yeah. I place all events in my life based on Broncos wins and losses, and so that was a memorable time in my life. Lots of things happened in the summer of 1999, including a little church that was wandering around the schools of Louisville and South Boulder ended up in this building and opened services for the first time. Cornerstone came in and uh, we had a generous donation that allowed us to remodel a building that had been given to us. The building was a mess. Many of you have heard that story. Just the way it was given to us is, is a miracle. But we moved in and had one service, and later that summer started two services, and we've been meeting for the last 23 years in this space with few exceptions. So there was a a September Sunday many years ago, not too many ago. Remember the flood? There was a Sunday we couldn't meet, and I remember thinking hell had frozen over because we weren't meeting together in church. Little did I know that just a few years later, we wouldn't meet together in this room for seven months because hell froze over again called COVID this time, and we weren't together. There were times that we met in homes uh, from certain Sundays, but for the most part, we've met together in this place every Sunday for 23 years, and this has been a place where people have come hurt and struggling and confused and wondering about God and giving God a second chance and a last chance and giving the church another chance or a last chance, and people experienced him. It's what makes the room amazing. It's not just a room, it's a sanctuary because God's presence has been here, mixed with our presence. Humble worship in God's presence is what makes a sanctuary. And so that's why this room is so full of meaning. And, you know, we can joke around about all the different fads that have come through this church and any church since 1999, but there are some things that remain the same. The church from the very beginning was given a vision by Jesus. So, you know, at churches, usually we try to come up with catchy slogans about our vision, but really, it's all meant to reflect one vision. And it's that Jesus is building his kingdom and we're invited into it. That's the vision. That's the plan of every church and every Christian anywhere, that we join God in his work of making all things new, starting with us, the world around us. And so it leads us to works of like justice and compassion, and we share our faith, and we disciple people, and we care about the world because God cares about it all. And the vision that he's given all of us is that we get to be a part of this project of new creation or making all things new, the kingdom of God, however you want to describe it. These are all beautiful things that Jesus shares with us. There's a passage in Proverbs chapter 29 that many of you know. It goes something like this, that without vision, the people perish. And what often happens is pastors stand up on a stage like today, and we've even done it, and it's not necessarily out of context. And we say, we're going to share vision with you today because we need to have something that pulls us together. But the real meaning of Proverbs 29 is not that we need human vision. We need God's vision all over again in a new way. The kingdom of God capturing our heart once again. We don't need a catchy slogan. We don't need a new building. We need his words once again, a vision that was very new when Jesus shared it. We look back from our perspective today, say it's 2,000 years old. It's an old perspective now, but the old is still new. Because does it ever get old, the message that God can change your life? or change a life, or resurrect, or renew, or revive. It's always something new that he's doing. I love the way Eugene Peterson describes that that verse in Proverbs 29. He says this, he says, if people can't see what God is doing, people will stumble all over themselves. 
And so the vision is to see what God is doing. Now, the parable that we're going to get to and end today with comes from Matthew chapter 9, verse 17. I think Jesus is saying something similar, okay? It says, neither do people pour new wine into old wineskins. If they do, these skins will burst. The wine will run out, and the wineskins will be ruined. So they pour new wine into new wineskins, and both are preserved. Now, often what happens is pastors stand up here and say, this is the reason why we have a new strategy. And of course, in the kingdom of God, there's room for growth and new things. But here again, Jesus is saying, the new thing is still the new thing. The new wine, the new life is still the new life. It's the gospel. It's the good news of Jesus. It's the gospel of the kingdom. It's the making of all things new. And so today, as we reminisce, what I want us to reminisce about is the new things that God has done in this old building. Because it's the new things that God has done in this old building that will continue in the new building. Do you know that? And that's what we need. That's what every... One of us needs. And so, all right. Let me tell you a great story that captures this, and then we'll run through. I, I had a beautiful mind moment this week doing lots of math about all the things that happened in this room. And so I can't wait to share it with you. Now, I know I tell you that because I know some of you are nervous right now because you were told when you came to church this morning that there would be no math. Well, you're wrong. All right, there will be math today. All right. Engineers are excited, the rest of you are nervous, but we'll get to that in a moment. But let me tell you a story about a lady named Kathy. It was a Sunday morning just like this, and she was driving by. And for some reason, this happened often at Cornerstone over the years. People would drive by, and they would see this dump of a building, and something inside of them would say, I should stop by there, drive down that dead-end street, get lost two times on the way, and end up going to church there. <laughs> happened often. Well, there was a Sunday that Kathy ended up in this room, and uh, she was surprised and almost uh, really taken back by the presence of someone that she experienced in the room, of course, we know is the Holy Spirit, moving during worship and, and during Jean's message. During the announcement, she heard that we had a prayer service that Wednesday night, and we were at the time praying for people who were sick, and we'd put them right in the middle of this room, and we'd sit around them, and we'd put our hands on their shoulders, and we'd pray and ask God to heal them. And often, he would, and many times he wouldn't, at least this side of heaven. And... Um, Kathy decided to come to that prayer service that next Wednesday because she was sick. She had some, some serious um, things going on with cancer, and she had a brain tumor and just many things, and she was kind of in this desperate place. Maybe that's why the Holy Spirit told her to come to church that day. And before the group prayed for her, Jean shared the gospel with her, the good news of Jesus. And that day, she trusted in him. And for the next few Sundays, she came back to Cornerstone, and the only thing that interrupted her, her participation in worship and in our mission here is that she got very, very sick from that sickness, and she ended up in hospice, and she would eventually die. But before she passed, Jean went to visit her uh, in, in her hospice care, and she said to Jean, she said, would you host my memorial service? And I really want it to be at Cornerstone, because it's the only spiritual home I've ever known, something like that. She said, the only problem is I have a lot of friends. She'd been a school district uh, employee and teacher here in BVSD for some 27 years. So just lots of friends, lots of coworkers. This room filled up with her friends. And that day, Jean got to tell them about her new faith and about how they could have faith. And the one that said he's the resurrection and the life. Those kinds of things have happened numerous times over the years. But let's get to some of the memories it was 1961, 
that a little church in downtown Boulder built this building at the time it was called Southern Hills Baptist Church. You can see a picture here. We were literally out in the country. You know how much they bought the land for and built that building for? $50,000. Our addition today cost 100 times, literally 100 times that amount. Enough to make a pastor want to throw up. Go to the next picture. The, the front of the auditorium used to be on that side. And this is what it looked like. The church grew and it expanded and they decided they needed to build the balcony in the balcony area and so they, they switched the orientation of the room and the front moved to where it is today. Many changes have taken place in this room during that time. Over 23 years, thousands of people have gathered together to worship. Think about it. In a town that elevates self and achievement, and personal achievement, thousands and thousands of people have come here to elevate God, Jesus, every week. That's important for a culture, because it's what we're meant for. Thousands of people have listened to God's word taught. Thousands of people have come to be with friends, because they know that they experience Jesus amongst his people, that he manifests himself with his people within his church. Just amazing Amazing things. During those 23 years, there's been 1,200 Sundays. 1,163 to be exact, because us pastors keep track. That's 3,000 separate services, because during many of those years, we had two services. Some of those years, we had three. Some, we even had four. I think it's something like 3,016 services, to be exact. Told you, you get nervous about the math. During that time, I think it's something like 15,000 worship songs have been sung in this room. An average sermon is 35 minutes, and there's been 3,000 sermons shared in this room. That's 100,000 minutes. That's a lot of listening. It's a lot of sleeping, I can tell you that. As I said, this room was remodeled three different times. Hundreds of memorial services, hundreds of weddings, hundreds of babies dedicated, hundreds of people baptized, thousands of decisions of faith, first-time faith, renewing faith, many decisions. Thousands of times God has gotten people's attention by sharing his presence with them. Do you remember the first time you noticed his presence? It's a surprise, right? You're like, oh my gosh, it's real. He is alive. It's happened over and over again. During those 20 plus years, thousands of CU students have made this their home during that formative time in their life. Rooms are just rooms, except what happens in them, right? This is not just a room, it's a sanctuary because his presence has been here and our humble worship has met him. Now I wanna show you a video that captures some of our favorite stories um, from this room and um, so we can all get ready if you've been a part of Cornerstone for a while. You can get ready to cry. Grab your Kleenex here. Um, but go ahead. Let's, let's watch this together. It's hard to believe this is our last day in this, this auditorium. It's been a special place. <laughs> already. Earlier this morning, Andrew and I went through mounds of pictures, and I just I cried all morning. <laughs> One Sunday, most of you don't know, but when I was first here, I, I preached and I led worship. But there was one Sunday I was leading worship, and there was probably two female vocalists, myself, and then the usual band, the drums, the guitar, the bass. 
And during one song, I heard a choir singing in the background. And it just filled the room. And um, we finished that worship set, and my son Michael was running sound that day, and he comes running up and he says, Dad, did you hear that choir? <laughs> I said, I go, you heard that? And that's, that really just frames what happens in, in this room, and it was so evident that the Holy Spirit was, was in this place. And since then, we've got dozens of stories that we could share. I literally got baptized just right back there um, where the drums are. I would say this room, just over, I guess it's been about 24 years at this point. I think through that whole time, this room has just really represented a safe space for me. And, um, you know, going through middle school and high school, there's just a lot of, and college, there's so many highs and lows. And just knowing that when I walked into this room, it was going to be a place where I was going to experience Jesus and the Holy Spirit and have truth spoken into my life. We decided to pack our bags and leave Southern California for Longmont. And um, as soon as we landed in Colorado, we knew we had to go find our church family. And so I will never forget the day when we walked uh, into this room and experienced the Holy Spirit in a really profound way during worship. And uh, myself, my wife, and two other couples that we had moved to Colorado with walked out of those two doors and we all looked at each other and we knew this was it. This was home. It's been 15 years um, that I've been working here at Cornerstone, and not only has this been a, a place in which I've healed from some past hurts um, at different churches that I've been involved in, um, it's a place where I've seen so many people come to faith and trust uh, Jesus with their life. And although this is a sad chapter, um, saying goodbye to this room that in many ways has uh, again changed my life. I cannot wait to see what's going to happen. We were flying out to China, and it was a couple days after I found out I was pregnant, after two and a half years struggling. And uh, Martha was with us, and the wards were with us, and somehow we found out that Martha's husband, Paul, stood up in front of everybody after the church sermon, which was about faith, and said, I have an example of faith. Ann Dupre is pregnant. Yay! Apparently the whole place went wild. Yeah. We weren't here. I think some people think, oh my goodness, you know, I can't believe someone would say that in such a public setting, but we loved it. Yeah, you know, it was perfect. Paul was like everybody's uncle. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And we knew that our uh, home church was really supporting us and, and rooting for us. Absolutely. And that happened right up here on the, on the stage while we were on a plane. One of the things I love about that story is the bookend. Now we... Uh, 20 years later, we watch our son standing up on stage playing uh, bass guitar in the worship band. And every single time, I imagine Paul standing up there on stage oh, yeah. announcing that he was coming into the world. Many things happened in this room. We had uh, weddings, we had services, we had women's teas, uh, we had anniversary parties, so many fabulous occasions. But the one that probably um, is most memorable to me was my husband's memorial service. This auditorium was completely filled and um, 
as I got up to speak, uh, I felt like the Lord had given me that verse uh, in Hebrews 12:1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. The week that he died was uh, the week of the Boulder Boulder. And uh, I just felt it was no accident of the timing because Paul had finished his race and he was now cheering us on uh, in Cornerstone. Um, our family, our friends, um, the people through the years that he'd known. And um, it just brought me huge comfort to know that uh, he was gone from this building, but he was still encouraging all of us to run the race. And so I think that is perhaps the, the most precious memory I have. And I believe right now he's saying Cornerstone is um, on the verge of a new place for the next 20 years. We need to all pray for them. So I feel like he's gathering the cloud of witnesses to pray um, for us in our move to the new place. We're in one space that God led us here to and actually gave it to us for free. And then he manifested his glory in this space. And so the new building, when we all get settled over there, it's just glory to glory. There's a little bit of sadness here and a little bit of apprehension of leaving this room. Like, will God move 50 yards to the east? Will the Holy Spirit come and join us? in this new auditorium. But it's a silly question because it's not the building, right? It's the people and the stories that we've all created in all these years. Okay, you got enough there? So before you guys go, there's actually one more story about this room specifically that we want you guys to hear. It's on my iPad. So I'm, gonna, I'm just gonna show it to you guys. You guys gotta watch it, all right? I'd love to, yeah. yes. You guys have to hold it. Hey, Gene and Andrea, as you know, today we are celebrating the many special memories and moments that have taken place in this room. And as we look back and think about those things, honestly, it's really hard to imagine those happening without the two of you and your love and leadership. In 28 years, serving this church and this community is more than an investment, but it is a legacy. And so in way of honoring that legacy, we want you to know that today we are dedicating this room to the two of you and your entire family. And so on behalf of thousands of grateful people that have been in this place, we just want to say thank you. We appreciate all that you've done and congratulations. Thank you. That was not fair. That's beautiful, honey. That's awesome. Isn't that nice? What's it going to say though? You want to see it? You have it? We do. You have something? Oh. Uh -oh. Oh my gosh, you guys. <laughs> oh, oh. We've been holding on to this Thank idea for you. two and a half years. <laughs> when are we going to do this? Cornerstone Sanctuary from 1999 to 2022. This room is dedicated to Jean and Andrea Binder, that's us, and our family for their many years of service and Cornerstone, thank you for your love and leadership. Shalom. Shalom. So it's going to hang right by the front door, down there. Where's the front door going to be? Right there? Where the plywood is. Oh. Yeah. Okay. Where the beautiful plywood is. Right okay. Yeah. You guys are awesome. This is really a gift. Congratulations. Uh, thank yeah, you. Thanks. Thank you.
right. So the original plan is for Gene to be sharing today and to be up here crying, <laughs> although the surprise happened a couple weeks ago. But uh, unfortunately, Gene and Andrew decided to take a vacation to Mexico this week. And the day after they arrived, Andrea got set sick and tested positive for COVID. So they're not allowed to come home right now. But uh, this is what I sent them last night as I shared that video with them. They wanted to see it. I said, uh, Gene and Andrea, tomorrow is meant in part to be a special day that honors the two of you along with Michael and Lisa. It's their children. And I'm sorry you can't be here. Gene, I've looked forward to over two years to, to hear your special message on this Sunday, and instead everyone has to listen to me, and I'm sorry about that. <clears throat> and Andrea, Elise and I both anticipated your joyful smile and encouraging words. But I know what you're thinking today as you sit in Mexico. Tomorrow is not about you. It's about honoring the faithfulness and the power of God working in ordinary lives, in a quirky building, in an awful location, in a town that many people believe God has forsaken. Today is about Christ in us and with us, and that both humbles us and fills us with pride, and that's the good kind of pride, of course, the kind that says, I know that God has done something great and has chosen to use us in this special work. Today we live in a world starved for depth and grit and perspective and faithfulness, but not this church, as long as I've known it, in huge part due to the two of you. Buildings are made with brick, wood, and stone, but not sanctuaries. They are built with presence and worship, holiness and sacrifice. God's majesty, his generous living presence mixed with the humble worship of his treasured image bearers like us. And that truly is a marvel. Thank you for teaching that to me and so many others. <clears throat> Laheim, <coughs> to life, have a drink. That's what I told him. <laughs> So, we wanted you to get to hear that as a way to just close out this chapter in this special room. Now, with the, just a few minutes I have left, I want to share a parable that I think reminds us of that vision that Jesus has been infusing into this room. All those old memories are about Jesus doing the new thing, right? New life for people, okay? We're going to go back to that parable. I want to read it in its context. And I want you to see that a parable like this actually helps people in the midst of change and transition, which is an important part of life because we're constantly in change. Change is constant. Change is inevitable. Uh, many years ago, I had a, a professional leadership coach say, Brian, change is inevitable. And the job of a leader is to help people move through the change, to choose the right change, to pace the change. But the job of a leader is to also know that with every change comes a loss. And so you have to navigate through that. Well, I think Jesus understood that better than anyone, but he has our eyes fixed on the new thing that he's always doing. And so the passage comes in Matthew chapter 9, starting in verse 9, and here's what happens. Jesus makes a new friend he calls a new disciple, and then trying to explain this thing that he's doing. It's the old thing, okay? But it was a new thing then. It's still a new thing today, even though it's very old. He tells three quick parables and ends with the one about the wineskins. So what Jesus said in verse 9. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him, and Matthew got up and followed him. By the way, so Matthew records this because he becomes the author of this gospel. The word he used for he got up, it's the same word for resurrection. So Matthew chooses to use a word that paints a picture like his life had just been changed. New life, okay? He resurrected and followed him. 
While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Like the crappy people, basically. Like the people you stay away from. That's how they were thinking of it. On hearing this, Jesus said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. I have not come to call the righteous but the sinners. Then John's disciples came and asked him. So these are people that aren't necessarily Jesus' disciples. They're his cousin, John's disciples. How is it that we and the Pharisees fast often, but your disciples do not fast? So it's a reference to to a question. There was a tradition at the time that the Jews had certain days that they would fast to remember um, sad, uh, mournful moments in Israel's past, namely when the temple was destroyed, okay? So there's moments in, in Israel's calendar where they would fast to remember these sad things from the past. And then Jesus goes into these three parables about the new thing. Verse 16, or verse 15. How can the guests of the bridegroom mourn while he is with them? The time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, then they will fast. It's the first parable. The second parable, no one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth, so new cloth, on an old garment, for the patch will pull away from the garment, making the tear worse. So new cloth shrinks, tear pull away. And then the third parable that we read a moment ago, neither do people pour new wine into old wineskins if they do. Their skins will burst, the wine will run out, and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins, and both are preserved. Remember that. So Jesus is going out of his way here to say, there are certain old things that aren't meant to mix with new things. But as he says that, he's not saying that the past doesn't matter. Because look what he's wanting to do. He's wanting to preserve it all. But there are certain things that don't mix. So, for example, a funeral... And a wedding don't go together, right? It would make both of them a really terrible event. It doesn't match what needs to happen, the emotion, the response, okay? Weddings and funerals don't go together. Jesus is saying, why are you mourning the tearing down of the temple, the place where God's presence was, when his presence is right here? It's a time to celebrate. Because he's in us and among us and with us. Then he tells this, gives us, Simple illustration that they would have known that you don't put new cloth as a patch on old clothing because it will eventually shrink and it will tear up that tear that they were trying to fix more in the first place. Some things don't go together. And then he uses the symbol of wine. And here's what you need to know about wine. Wine, not just in Jewish culture, but in most ancient cultures, has always been a symbol of life and celebration and joy. It's almost synonymous with those things. It's, you don't have a party without wine. You certainly didn't back then. And so there's this picture that there is new life that's meant to be housed in new wineskins. Now, I, I don't think Jesus is saying, all right, this is a reason why people build new buildings and have new strategies. I don't think he's saying that. He's saying something much more timeless and much more profound. What he's saying is there's a new way that we relate to people like Matthew. There's a new way that people like Matthew relate to God. There's a new way that people like Matthew are meant to live in this world. Just think of it for a moment. Think of the judgment Matthew is, is getting from this distance. He's a tax collector. He's a terrible person. 
You know, his name tells us a lot about him. He actually has two names. So, so Matthew was his Greek name. Because he worked for the Romans, he needed, he needed a, a Hellenized Greek name. He needed a different title. They didn't want to call him by his Hebrew name. And so Matthew literally represented someone who was like a, a traitor. He was working with the occupying enemy. So Israel's been conquered. They're occupied by the Romans. The reign is harsh. And Matthew's job is to ruthlessly collect money from his own people to fill Caesar's coffers. That's Matthew's job. Most of Israel at the time is super poor. People also know that the more Matthew collects, the richer he gets. Yikes, right? What a terrible person. That's Matthew. You know, he had another name. His Hebrew name was Levi, or is Levi. Now, Levi is a name that honors his Jewish heritage. One of the sons, of Jacob, one of the 12 tribes, Levi literally means one that brings together or unites or binds. So Matthew, one that's a, that's a betrayer working with the enemy, but he has this other name. Jesus walks up to him and he speaks to him. It reminds me of that old quote that says, Satan um, knows our name but calls us by our sin. Jesus knows our sin and calls us by our name. You see the new thing? There's a new way to deal with Matthews. It's grace. It's mercy. It's a second chance. In the middle of this teaching, all this teaching about new things, there's this grateful man who had thought he had been rejected by God. All the religious things were not for him. He had, he, you know, he had chosen his path. It was too late to come back from it. And the new thing is Jesus is saying, it's never too late. New beginnings for you, Matthew. Now, here's why that matters to people like us. There are a lot of people in this room that have been Matthew at one point or another, right? How many of you can remember back to the time, maybe it was a season, when you first heard Jesus say, get up, follow me? How many of you can remember that? That's the new thing. That's the new thing that repeats itself in rooms like this all over the world or under a mango tree in Uganda where our friends gather. That's the new thing. But the new thing doesn't stop. That, that thing that's 2,000 years old, that very old thing still is the new thing. Because there are times that Jesus will still have to call every one of us out of those old things that we return to. Living for fame or wealth or sex or the, you know, even the perfect family, something as good as the perfect family, it's, that's, not a, that's not something you give your life to, will let you down. There's only one that your heart was meant for. And so Jesus comes over and he, he finds the Matthews and he, said, and he surprises him and said, I got a new start for you. But he also finds Matthews later on in life, like many of us today, and says, hey, I want to call you out of that thing that you've gone back to. That's the new thing. New creation Resurrection life, God making all things new, starting with each one of us, still is the beautiful thing that makes simple rooms like this really special. So it will make your marriage special. So it will make your family special, your home special, your business special. Do you live in such a way that you are joining him in the new thing he is doing? Do you have vision to see what God is doing? If not, we stumble all over ourselves, as Peterson said. 
No, this is meant to be poured into the new wineskins of the gospel. Grace, mercy, constant invitation, constant calling us back into relationship with him. These are the beautiful things that we get to enjoy. So those stories, you know, we're old stories we're remembering, but we know we're remembering the new thing, and I can't wait for more of the new things. Change can be tough because there is loss that comes with every change. But the one thing that stays the same is that God continues to meet with his people, fill his place, surprise him with his presence, speak to them, speak to us, whisper to our hearts, call Matthews for the first time, and to keep calling us back into the amazing, amazing journey that we get to have as we get to join him in building his kingdom. And remember, the parables are about revealing the kingdom, right? Jesus is saying, here's the best thing. Here's the new thing. Never stop living without it. All right, I want to invite the worship team up and I want to just give us a chance to, to be grateful together and then we're going to take the elements together. And so as the worship team comes up, I just want to invite you to to bow your heads and close your eyes and just go to the quiet place of prayer where you can be free from distraction. This is one of my favorite parts of the week. There are many Matthews in this room who need reminded of the new thing. The old and the new don't mix. And you know what the old is? The old is your old labels, your past, your failures, the judgment of other people. It's the old forms that no longer work. It's the old expectations that you just that lead to disappointment. You know, there's no mixing those things. Certainly God was in them. He honors the past. Jesus honored the past more than anyone, built upon it. But God is inviting us all into the new thing. And that new thing is the next step that Jesus wants us to take, where he wants to lead us more and more of the kingdom life reigning in our hearts. And so as you think of that, I want you just to imagine what that wineskin might be because there is a new life that he wants to pour into you. Maybe that new wineskin is a new way of thinking about yourself. Free from guilt and shame and judgment. Maybe it's a new way of thinking about other people who are our enemies. Maybe it's new purpose. Life's about more than just winning and losing. Maybe the new wineskin is the healing of a relationship, reconciliation. God is always doing something new. So Father, as we close out just a wonderful season for this church in this room, we, we thank you. We're, faith, we're just grateful for your faithfulness. We celebrate the countless numbers decisions to trust in you that we can't even count we'll never know about until we're with you in heaven then you'll show us but we celebrate those we celebrate that for 23 years you've done the new thing in this room with people just as you do all over the world but it's been special here and lord we look forward to more of the new thing 
fill Cornerstone Church with the resurrection power. May we live the resurrection day to day. May we join you in what you're doing. May it be our vision to be a part of renewing all things. We pray this in Jesus' name. All right, let's stand together. I you to take the bread. Jesus said this is a symbol, been a symbol for a very long time. It's a Passover symbol. Jesus took it during the Passover meal. And he likened our new life to the Passover. He said, just in the same way that God delivered the Jewish people, he will deliver us from sin. But this deliverance will come through the breaking, not of a a physical lamb, but the perfect lamb, a person. And so he said, as often as you eat this bread, remember my body, which was broken for you. Remember his death. And so let's eat together. And then the cup of wine the symbol of life, remember? So this actually right now represents my blood poured out for you. The new covenant. The new thing. Drink in remembrance of me. Let me remind you of this. We don't just remember his death. When we do this, we remember his life that is being shared with us today. Amen.